is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Levin, our number is 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Welcome. I hope you had a good weekend. You know, it's too bad the media and the Democrat Party do not take these viruses and these variants seriously. It really is. They have no consistent message. Uh, We have mayors and governors, Democrats, who violate their own rules. We have Barack Obama throwing a swanky party, 700 people. A math is vineyard because he happens to turn 60 years old. He's not going to pass on that. No. Other major events have been shut down over the course of the last 18 months, but not Obama's party. We can't miss that. That's a big deal. We have uh, Marxist rioters and looters, arsonists. They're not required to be masked. So there's a lot of exceptions to the mask rule, and the biggest exception, of course, illegal aliens. And thanks to Fox, we've now seen horrendous examples of what's happening on the southern border. They use drones and other means of observation. Horrendous. It's not a few hundred there. There were 8,000 people gathered pretty much in one place. More and more we're finding that they do have this virus. Catholic Charities putting them in hotels. A second hotel, a COVID hotel. We saw the buses pulling up. The federal federalized buses pulling up, taking people on, moving them to other towns, taking them to airports, flying out of the area, and going wherever they want to. With viruses, without viruses, With criminal background records, without criminal background records, nobody knows. We are overwhelmed, cloured and piven. They've busted the system. They've effectively outlawed ICE and the Border Patrol. You can't watch this and pretend this isn't intentional. Biden and his people know better than anybody else what's going on down there. 
And the media sit back, other than Fox and a handful of others who are independent journalists, real journalists. The hypocrisy of these so-called experts that are bureaucrats in our government. Talking about how serious this virus is, and it is. And how serious this Delta variant is, and it is. But apparently there are health exceptions, health passes. Political health passes that are effectively handed out. If you're Obama and Michelle Obama, you get a pass. If you're an illegal alien, a foreigner trying to get into this country, you get a pass. If you want to burn down some city, your Black Lives Matter or Antifa or their ilk, you get a pass. If you're a mayor, like the mayor of Chicago, the mayor of Washington, D.C., the mayor of Atlanta, governors uh, up the wazoo, you get a pass. If you're working stiff, you don't get any passes. Now, this is really shocking. Shocking. And we also have this debate of whether landlords should be able to collect their rent. Now, how the hell are you expected to run an apartment complex or if you have a duplex or if you have a property, maybe it's a second property and you rent it out in order to pay your mortgage, how are you expected to survive? Nobody has talked to the landlords. I don't see any interviews of these landlords. They're not all billionaires. In fact, the vast majority of them, they're not. They rent their their attic, they rent an extra room, they rent a summer home. I mean, what is this? And they want to extend it and extend it and extend it? This is the problem when you give an inch. This is the problem when you give an inch. Moratorium on, ev- on evictions? It's now a right. And you're showing your compassion if you support extending the moratorium. And obviously there's more tenants than landlords, so we know the politics of this. It completely undermines private property rights. It completely undermines the ability to even own a property. These people are going to lose their properties. Voting changes that were, that were told they would be temporary because of the pandemic. Now if you try and change the back pre-pandemic and even liberalize them. You're Jim Crow. You give them an inch. They take your country. That is why people are concerned about the authority being exercised or demanded by these medical fascists and these gubernatorial fascists and others because they don't expect to get their liberty back because they always overreach or they politicize. Which is why I say you must take your health into your own hands. You must talk to your own doctor. You must talk about your own conditions. What is best for you? And in the vast majority of cases, it's the vaccines that were developed under Donald Trump. We used to celebrate them, you know. Now we have this variant. This variant actually exists. It's not as deadly, of course. We've gone through the numbers and so forth. But you don't trust Fauci because you shouldn't trust Fauci. He said 15 different things about masks, depending on the politics. 
depending on the politics. He was slow on the vaccines. It was Trump who pushed the vaccines. It was Biden and Kamala Harris and the Democrats and the media who poo-pooed the vaccines. I don't remember getting a memorandum from uh, Cumulus or Westwood One or anybody else telling me, look, during the Trump administration, promote the development of vaccines. We want to get them as fast as possible. I never got any memorandum saying that. Why? Why? I've always wanted people to take vaccines that have been proven to be safe. Of course you can pick out an example here and there where there's illnesses or deaths. You've had over 170 million get vaccinated. But look, nothing I say is going to convince people one way or another. I tell you to go to your doctor and talk to your doctor and hear what your doctor has to say. If you have a particular kind of malady, there may be some questions. Ask your doctor. About the Delta variants, ask your doctor. Your doctor's a professional. Your doctor's supposed to be reading up on all this stuff. You don't need TV doctors and radio doctors and the same schmucks in the federal government that go on and on and on, that are on TV so often you wonder how they even gather the evidence from the United States, let alone the rest of the world, and know what the hell they're doing. I get it. I get it when those same doctors were on TV saying, it's okay, we give, it a, you know, we give a pass to the rioters and Black Lives Matter and so forth. When you have de Blasio giving a pass, and Bowser giving a pass, and all these mayors, and all these commentators who are now, get the iron fist out. People shouldn't be able to eat, they shouldn't be able to sleep, they shouldn't be able to fill their, their vehicles with gasoline, they shouldn't be able to work, they shouldn't be able to this unless they're vaccinated. However, if they're riding and burning, if they're coming across the border illegally, uh, we lift the standards. That's not flying with the American people. That's not flying. And so my question specifically to Joe Biden and his ilk is this. If everybody in America gets vaccinated and wears a mask... How does that protect us from illegal aliens coming into the country with full-blown coronavirus or the Delta variant? How does that work? And why do you say absolutely nothing about it? Nothing. Fauci says nothing. The head of the CDC says nothing. I'd say the head of the FDA says nothing, but he hasn't even nominated a commissioner yet. The head of... Health and Human Services, it's a slip-and-fall radical lawyer. He doesn't even know what the hell we're talking about. But why is the Jake Tapper doesn't talk about this? Why is the D. Lemon and Fredo Cuomo don't talk about this? Why is that none of these hacks dressed up as journalists? They never talk about this. Because the answer is obvious. They should be securing that border, if not closing the border, until we get through this. But they don't want to. Why don't they want to? Two simple reasons. One, they want to turn Texas blue. Texas and Arizona. They want to turn them blue. Texas goes blue. The Democrats own the country. For the rest of the time. And while they're at it, they're moving people to other parts of the country where maybe they're marginally Republican or they're purple going blue, you know, like Virginia and Georgia and southeastern states, because most of these people are, that's where they're going, to the southeast. 
to what used to be the heart of red state America, which really isn't the heart of red state America anymore. We're losing red state America. And they are doing it. They are diabolical and they are evil. They are doing it through immigration. Everybody knows it. If you dare to bring it up, you're attacked by the same corrupt media that promoted the slaughter of the Ukrainians in 32, that covered up the Holocaust, that promoted Castro, and now do this. They're the same ilk, the same mentality. They carry the water for these various American Marxist movements and this Democrat Party. It's that simple. And number two, because people are being taught and radicalized that this country, America, this quote-unquote, white supremacy, white majority country, needs to be overthrown. That is, they're the ones fixated with race, they're the ones fixated with critical race theory, all of which is supported by academia, supported by the Democrat Party, supported by Joe Biden's um, executive orders, and supported by the media. They're the racists, they're focused on it, And they want to eliminate the quote-unquote white majority-dominated society. What better way than this? And then if you bring it up, well, you must be a white supremacist. Folks, if you aren't down for this Marxist revolution, you're a white supremacist. Don't you get it? Even if you're black. But that's what's going on here. That's exactly what's going on here. That's why there's exceptions. And that's why I started out this program by saying... Really? The Democrats are concerned about this virus? They're concerned about the Delta variant? They have a funny way of showing it. The Iron Fist is taken out to pound every one of you. But the border's wide open by design. People are coming in by the hundreds of thousands by design. Most of the media are not there to report it. By design. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. talk about them often, Cloward and Piven, two Marxist professors who had a great deal to do with uh, contributing to the rioting of the 60s and the uh, and beyond, and what's actually been going on in the country today, even though one of them died. The, uh, as I point out in American Marxism, 
The professors argue that the progress of mass movements will always be too slow as the American system is too difficult to mold into a truly revolutionary force. But there will be opportunities to use the system against the system and to create turmoil from within and without bringing pressure for a revolutionary change. They wrote, still overall, political leaders remain timid and conservative, trying to suppress the potential for realignment by bridging potential cleavages with general symbols and vague promises. Under these confusing conditions, discontented voters may be as atomized and ineffective as all voters are said to be in the absence of parties. So social activists must be prepared to abandon the political parties as another way of putting pressure on them. However, they believe that the Democrat Party is the party through which the radical elements can, in fact, penetrate the political system. And so they spent a lot of time talking about doing exactly that, taking over the Democrat Party, and they have, the radicals. Now, Clarence and Piven wrote that since political parties seek consensus, there will always be cleavages and discordant issues between and among groups that should be exploited by social activists. They said to appreciate the role of social movements in helping to precipitate electoral convulsion and realignment. We have to pay attention to the distinctive dynamics of social movements that enable them to do party politicians what party politicians do not. Social movements, even movements that are not particularly disruptive, can do what party leaders and contenders for office will not do. Particularly when it comes to economic conditions, they wrote, when economic conditions have weakened, causing social conditions to do the same. The political system is said to be ripe for transformation. That is what's going on. That is what's been going on since the riots during the pandemic of last summer. Social movements, they write, tend to emerge at moments when the electoral system itself signals the emergence of new political conflicts. Signs of increased volatility appear in electoral politics, usually traceable to changes in the economy or social life that generate new discontents or encourage new aspirations. And the evidence of voter volatility in turn may prompt party leaders to do what they characteristically do to attempt to hold together their coalition. But they can't. And in the end, they won't. More when I return. Americans meet to defend liberty and defeat tyranny. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. You know, folks, I'm going to point out another thing. Every Republican who negotiated this so-called bipartisan infrastructure deal with the Biden administration, and every Republican who votes for it, also does not support effectively dealing with this virus or the Delta variant. They truly don't. Why? Because if they did, they would have a Republican leader and the Republican conference, every last one of them would say, we're not moving anything out of the United States said, until you secure that border and prevent People coming into this country by the hundreds of thousands who have all kinds of diseases 
that have the COVID-19 virus, that have the Delta variant, and so forth and so on. We're not testing people. We're not stopping people. We're releasing people. We know that we are harming the American people, citizens in this country, legal immigrants in this country, visitors in this country, and we're not going to put up with it. So no infrastructure, no nothing, anything. Instead, they go along like it's no big deal. Cutting deals, the usual deal cutters. Sanctimonious, self-aggrandizing, self-righteous. Starting with Mitch McConnell. Starting with Mitch McConnell. But the usual hacks. Porter. This guy Cassidy from Louisiana. Romney. And the others. If they were seriously concerned about the health and the welfare of the American people, the people they claim to represent, they would be out there every single day as a group with a message saying to the American people, in good conscience, we cannot pretend that it's business as usual when this administration is intentionally facilitating the movement of millions of people to our border and into our country without protecting the American people. I mean, there's sexual predators coming across, there's terrorists coming, all kinds of people coming across. And everybody coming across illegally is coming across illegally. Trespassing, at a minimum. Which I thought was a big crime, given about January 6th, and many of the people who never breached the building, but were trespassing. This is why you don't have faith. It would be nice if the corporate boardrooms in America which weren't so damn ideological left, would participate in improperly communicating to the government, to the administration. But they're hopeless. You know, it's not the same corporations as we had decades ago. The boards, same woke radicals and leftists drive their businesses into the ground. Unless, of course... They do business with China. Now, the, this is the thing. The virus came out of China. There's no disputing that, unless you're a mouthpiece for China. The virus came out of communist China. They held back, causing many, many deaths. The leak came out of the lab. I can give you a lot of information on that, and I have. They can't give me any information in the animal to jumping to the human virus. They have nothing. Zero except communist China's propaganda. But look at the businesses in this country. Here we have a country, China, that is slaughtering Muslims, that is now targeting Christians, that is now rounding up freedom supporters in Hong Kong, which is building a military they hope will be second to none to conquer Taiwan. And every damn one of these corporatists is lined up to do business with them. Every single one of them. They attack the Republican Party's Jim Crow. They say nothing about the communist Chinese and all the hell they've unleashed on this earth. They want to do business with them. They see a big market. And they're perfectly happy to deal with genocidal mass murders. 
Ask the New York Times. They've done it multiple times. Apple does it with glee. The NBA, LeBron James, no problem. Perfectly happy with it. These are moral frauds. And we're surrounded by these moral frauds who are in positions of power, whether it's the corporatists, whether it's the media, whether it's the bipartisan group of the Senate getting together to pass $1.2 trillion. Ah, shove it! Secure the damn board. Oh, that's too much to ask. It's too much to ask. Pissing away money left and right by the trillions. $400 billion of waste, fraud, and abuse. Money for this one, money for that one, money for abortion on demand. Secure the border. No, we can't secure the border. Why? Because they're trying to take over the country, the Democrats. That's why. It's that simple. So the whole country has to genuflect and do what the Democrat Party demands. And their surrogates and the media and the rest of these, these creeps. If they really cared about stopping the virus, they could stop it at the border. At least significant amount of it. But they won't. They're busy destroying the Border Patrol and ICE. They're destroying them. They're busy destroying these communities. Even without the virus, you cannot assimilate this many people into these towns and communities. It's not possible. They're destroying our school systems. People are going to be showing up, and they have a right to go to school because the Supreme Court said so in the 1980s. Overwhelming our health care systems. Nobody ever talks about it. Nobody's ever studied that. Nobody's ever looked at it. The infectious disease uh, idiot, Fauci, never gets into this. The CDC, busy trying to regulate landlord-tenant issues, they don't talk about that. Meanwhile, every little kid who goes to a government school is going to have to wear a mask come August and September. With no science whatsoever to support it, but the teachers' unions demand it, so it shall be done. Follow the science, America. Damnable. And they trash Trump. Who got us the vaccines. Who got us the masks. Who got us the hospital rooms and the ventilators. In warp speed time. Nobody handed him vaccines. Nobody handed him PPE. Nobody handed him anything. He had to do it on his own. While the Democrats were viciously attacking him. Trying to remove him from office. Trying to undermine his credibility. Remember all that? I do. So bad has the situation gotten that people are moving. They're leaving homes in which they were born. Towns in which they were raised. States that they loved. Out of survival. Out of survival because their businesses can't work. Their, their employment situation is terrible. And so what's happening is you're seeing a mass migration. Here's the problem with this mass migration. Just from a... a, a, a a distance perspective, not in your own life. Do as you need to do, obviously. But as more and more people leave for Florida or leave for Tennessee or leave for Texas, it becomes much more difficult to win the Electoral College. Do you understand what I'm saying, Mr. Producer? Because you can pile up big numbers in Florida and Texas and Tennessee. But it's not going to be enough you got to win these other states. 
because you have built-in electoral college numbers in each state, at least three, two senators and a member of the House, but in most states, more. So it becomes much more difficult. So the Democrats don't give a damn if you leave New York or leave California or leave Illinois or leave one of the the government-run hellholes that they've created. I don't mean the states, I mean the governments that harass you and tax you and all the rest because they figure we're depopulating our state of Republicans. That's a good thing, they think. Let them all go to Florida and Texas and Tennessee. They're purifying their states politically. They're purifying them. And they don't care. They don't care. It's like the Democrat Party has purified its party. They're glad about that. They don't care. Purifying their party, purifying these states, making them bluer and bluer. They have temporary control and they run with it for permanent control like the Commonwealth of Virginia. People are leaving there. The Democrats have only controlled it relatively state level for uh, seven or eight years. But they do such significant damage, people leave. And so then they, they coalesce, they congeal, and they grab as much power as they can. We saw this in California. California voted Republican all the time, not now. California voted for George H.W. Bush. You aware of that? In 1988. That was the last one. And back in 1988, these so-called political experts who have these little institutions and colleges who, who name them after themselves, or a Cook Report or something like that. Anyway, most of them were saying, we don't see how the Democrats ever win the presidents. So the Democrats got to work on changing election systems that would only benefit them, on opening the borders as much as they possibly could, in fighting for amnesty every step of the way, they just changed. They're no longer the party of the blue-collar worker, let alone the white-blue-collar worker. They're the party of whatever works, and they play the race card endlessly. It's a diabolical party. It's always been a diabolical party. I've told you this many times. Party of slavery, party of segregation, party of Jim Crow. Now it's just an American Marxist party. That's what it is. It's what it is. Whether they want to hear it or not, I don't much give a damn. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. All right, here's a little bit of good news for you. Actually, solid news for you. What if I told you that almost 700,000 people had a strategy and tactical action plan in their hands for fighting back and pushing back? Which is the seventh chapter, the last chapter of American Marxism. So you're not alone, those of you who've jumped in. In three weeks, I don't have the official number, but we have an unofficial number, 655,000 copies of American Marxism. 
the overwhelming majority of which are hard copy. 655,000, maybe a little more, maybe a touch less, but it's very close. Which means that we will be at a million probably in a month or two, probably less. But 655,000 people have an action plan involving corporations and immigration and schools, involving Black Lives Matter and Antifa, sports leagues, and so forth and so on. With scores, scores of tactics, an enormous number of potential resources to tap into. This tells me, I said we're building a movement, we have a movement. And it's getting bigger and bigger. Big media can pretend it doesn't exist. Big tech can try and squelch it. Even some conservative outlets can pretend to ignore it. Even some so-called conservative hosts can pretend to ignore it and then try and jump in front of the parade when it, when it manifests itself. I'm not interested in parades or anything else. I am telling you that we are reaching into every village, town, suburb, and city in this country. That's the goal. That's the point. We are reaching as many people as possible. People are astonished, those friends of mine, at what's happening here. They're astonished. You've got to keep it up. We've got to keep spreading the word. We need an army of millions. We're going to get it. And it is okay that they pretend we don't exist because we are, we, are, we are plotting, we are planning, we are organizing, and we are going to be heard. And that's you. In three weeks, 655,000 copies of American Marxism, that's enormous. And if all of you jump in, We'll have millions and millions, millions and millions, and that is my, that is my hope, and this is a very, very positive development. Very. I've only just begun. I'll see you in a few minutes. We'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. See, the problem, ladies and gentlemen, is there aren't enough viewers on Fox or even listeners on talk radio unless you become Paul Revere and spread the word. The written word makes a big difference. 
Think about the great books of our time. Think about the great treatises, the great pamphlets. They survive. Why do they survive? They can actually be handed down. They can actually be handed out. They can be quoted. Something about the written word. You and I, those before us, we choose liberty. And I think it's worth repeating something that I spoke to you about maybe a couple months ago. Because I say it in this book better than I can say it a second time. I'm often asked on radio what we're going to do about recovering our country. Too often what is meant is, what is someone else going to do to save America? That mindset is simply unacceptable. If we are to rally to the defense of our own liberty and unalienable rights, then each of us, in our own roles and ways, must become personally and directly involved as citizen activists in our own fate and the fate of our country. The time has come to reclaim what is ours, the American Republic, from those who seek to destroy it. We expect others to rescue our nation for us as we go about our daily lives as mere observers to what is transpiring or close our eyes and ears to current events. We will lose this struggle. And yes, it is a struggle. We have allowed the American Marxists to define who we are as a people. They defame us, slander our ancestors in history, and trash our founding documents and principles. They're mostly reprobates who hate the country in which they live and have contributed nothing to its betterment. Indeed, they live off the sweat and toil of others while they pursue a destructive and diabolical course for our nation, undermining and sabotaging virtually every institution in our society. Their ideology and worldview are based on the arguments and beliefs of a man, Karl Marx, whose writings are responsible for the enslavement, impoverishment, torture, and death of untold millions. This is a hard fact. Despite the predictable protestations from some in our society who embrace and advance Marxism's core ideas, but attempt to disassociate themselves from responsibility for its inevitable outcomes. These are the useful idiots who occupy influential or leadership positions in the Democratic Party, media, academia, the culture, and etc. And I might add, many in the Republican Party. But we must take solace and find strength in the sacrifice and bravery of our early revolutionaries. Joseph Warren, Samuel Adams, John Hancock, Paul Revere, Thomas Paine, to name a few, and become energized and inspirited by the wisdom and genius of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, James Madison, Benjamin Franklin, and many others. While they have been smeared and degraded by American Marxists and their ilk, we continue to celebrate them, be invigorated by them, and remember that together they defeated the most powerful military force on earth, and founded the greatest and most extraordinary nation in the history of mankind.
indeed future generations of patriots at tremendous sacrifice fought the civil war to end slavery something no other country's ever done costing hundreds of thousands of lives on fields and in towns throughout America by Gettysburg alone there were 51,000 casualties but there were other battles with terrible casualties Chickamauga Spotsylvania the Wilderness, Chancellorville, Shiloh, Stones River, Antietam, Bull Run, twice, Fort Donelson, Fredericksburg, Port Hudson, Cold Harbor, Petersburg, Gaines Mill, Missionary Ridge, Atlanta, Seven Pines, Nashville, and many more. These were horrendous battles. Horrendous. Last century, millions of Americans fought and hundreds of thousands died in two world wars. In World War I, some four million American soldiers were mobilized to fight Germany, Austria-Hungary, Bulgaria, and the Ottoman Empire. Over 116,000 Americans perished at the battles of Somme, Verdun, Gallipoli, Tannenberg, and so many others. In World War II, More than 16 million American soldiers fought the German Nazis, Japan, and Italy. Over 400,000 lost their lives at the battles of Sicily, Anzalo, the Atlantic, Normandy, Operation Dragoon, the Bulge, Iwo Jima, Guadalcanal, Tarway, Saipan, Okinawa, and many more. During the Cold War with the Soviet Union, American soldiers fought the spread of communism, including in Korea, where the Soviet and Chinese-backed communists in the northern part of the Korean Peninsula invaded the South. Over 5,700,000 Americans were engaged in that war. Nearly 34,000 lost their lives. Almost 3 million Americans served in uniform in the Vietnam War, which was intended to prevent, again, the Soviet and Chinese-backed communists in the northern part of that country from taking over the South. Over 58,000 American soldiers lost their lives. And there have been many battles since, including and not limited to Iraq and Afghanistan and the war on terrorism. Contrary to the American Marxist slurs that America is an imperial and colonizing force, our soldiers are noble warriors who have fought and died and still do to protect and liberate the oppressed from one end of the world to the other. And regardless of their religion, skin color, ethnicity, or race of the victimized, and unlike some of our enemies, we do not seek to conquer other countries for the purpose of occupation and territorial expansion. In America, one generation after another has been willing to sacrifice everything. And so many have paid the ultimate price, in defense of this magnificent country and its founding principles from foreign enemies. They believe that America and her principles were worth fighting and dying for, and for many of us, our family members were and are among them. If the American Marxist has recently succeeded with the bureaucracy and Democratic Party politics in imposing critical race theory and critical gender theory agendas on our armed forces, Soldiers are now forced to participate in training that reinforces these ideologies. They've even reached into West Point, where cadets are brainwashed about white rage. And the Pentagon has also declared climate change a national security priority, 
meaning it is as grave a threat to our survival as such enemies as communist China, North Korea, Iran, and Russia. Meanwhile, successive democratic administrations have denied our military services the funds needed to maintain top readiness and have strained their budgets while enemy states, especially communist China, are preparing for war. On the home front, most of us have always viewed our police as selfless and brave guardians of the law who protect us from criminals and keep the peace. We look up to them and appreciate them. They are highly trained professionals and their job is extremely dangerous given the level of violent criminality that exists in too many areas of our country. The National Law Enforcement Memorial Fund reports that since the first known line of duty death in 1786, more than 22,000 law enforcement officers have been killed in the line of duty. In 2018 alone, there have been 58,866 assaults against law enforcement officers. And that doesn't even include last summer, resulting in over 18,000 injuries. And on 9-11 every year, we honor those officers, along with firefighters, emergency personnel, and others, who lost their lives in infinite heroic acts to save the poor souls in the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, were slaughtered by al-Qaeda terrorists. These incredible men and women have not changed. They are the same patriotic and self-sacrificing Americans today as they were on that day and are on other days. Yet what has changed in recent years with the rise of American Marxism and Marxist anarchist groups like Antifa and Black Lives Matter is that law enforcement at all levels has come under brutal assault. Suddenly they can do no good. They must be constrained and retrained, and policing itself must be reimagined. We're told police officers are systemically racist, targeting African Americans and other minorities for disparate treatment, despite indisputable statistics and overwhelming evidence to the contrary. The relentless degrading and weakening of police forces, unremitting media disinformation about law enforcement. Remember, this was written months ago. The ideological and political exploitation of certain videotaped encounters and the slashing of police budgets by major city Democratic politicians destabilize communities and the public's faith in policing, undermining the rule of law and ultimately the civil society. If your goal is to fundamentally transform America, that is, abolish our history, traditions, and ultimately our republic, then you must subvert support for the police. After all, without law enforcement... The civil society collapses. Especially pernicious is the American Marxist control over our public school and college classrooms. With the full support and active role of two national unions, the National Education Association and American Federation of Teachers, where your children and grandchildren are being taught to hate our country and are brainwashed with racist propaganda. If this persists, it will most assuredly lead to the nation's downfall. And the spread within college and university level syllabuses and journal articles took place over the course of many decades throughout the 20th century. Destroying free speech and academic freedom on our college campuses. Without your knowledge, let alone consent, this has been done to you, to your children, to your grandchildren, and your country. And not to be left behind, America's corporatists are all in. 
In fact, there are too many corporations committed to the various Marxist critical theory movements and the human resources training and hiring related practices promoting them to list them. Lily Zeng, an author and diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant writing in Harvard Business Review tells us, corporate social justice is not a feel-good approach that allows everyone to be heard. By nature, it won't result in initiatives that will make everyone happy. The first step that many companies have taken by publicly supporting Black Lives Matter through public statements and donations is an example of that. The company must decide that it is okay with losing business from certain groups, say white supremacists or police departments, since taking money from these groups would run counter to its corporate social justice strategy. And these companies are occurring favor and colluding with the Democrat Party by using their financial muscle to help create a one-party political machine. The recent war on the Georgia Republican legislature is a perfect example. Then I go on to talk about, of course, big tech. What can be done about these assaults on our liberty, families, our country? I don't have all the answers. To begin with, I warned years ago in Liberty and Tyranny that we must become more engaged in our public matters. And this will require a new generation of activists, largest in number, shrewder, more articulate than before, who seek to blunt the status counter-revolution. Well, we must seize every opportunity to take back our our institutions by running for office and so forth, I said. But given the urgency of the moment, even this is not enough. And then I lay out the case. Very particularized and detailed. I don't have all the answers. No one person possibly can. I don't live in every single town and community where you're listening to me from. But we are a force. There are tens of millions of us. We are a force. You are engaged. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. was one other thing I wanted to mention. December 1970-76, when the Revolutionary War looked lost, we've talked about Thomas Paine and his pamphlet, The American Crisis Number 1. And you've heard people cite the first paragraph, These are the times that try men's souls. Just a, a grabbing paragraph. But he said something else, too, in that very same document. That was very, very compelling. That most of those who cite this document skip. He wrote, I call upon a few, I call not upon a few, I call not upon a few, but upon all. Not on this state or that state, but on every state. Up and help us. Lay your shoulders to the wheel. Better have too much force than too little. When so great an object is at stake. Let it be told to the future world that in the depth of winter, when nothing but hope and virtue could survive, that the city and the country, alarmed at one common danger, came forth to meet and to repulse it. And on the night of December 25, 1776, one of the most brutal winters that that part of the country had ever seen, 
Washington ordered Payne's words read to his exhausted troops before the Battle of Trenton, which, of course, they won. And Payne's pamphlet not only energized Washington's men, but quickly spread throughout the colonies, rousing and galvanizing the people. Our challenge today is just as crucial and urgent, and in many ways more complicated. We did not ask for this confrontation, but it is here. And in truth, like the early days of the Revolutionary War, we are losing. Unfortunately, most of the country has been caught flat-footed and remains unengaged. What must be understood is that the various Marxist-associated movements are constantly agitating, pressuring, threatening, overtaking, and even riding to accomplish their ends, for which there is no effective or sustained counter-pressure agitation. That is, no pushback. That must change today. That will change today. That is changing today. Thanks to you. And I strongly believe that. I strongly believe that. What our domestic enemies do not understand is something that Churchill understood when we were attacked at Pearl Harbor. When his cabinet and others were saying, America is weak, America won't fight back, Churchill said, his mother being an American, I guess you haven't read about the Americans in the Civil War, have you? I don't think our enemies here have either. See you in a minute. Liberty's Voice. Mark Levin. Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. You can tell, folks, this is a little different, this program. What I do here in radio, what I do on Fox, what I do with Levin TV, and what I do with my books. You're not going to hear me coming on radio and just go through the talking points. Or come on radio and... And just do some slapstick. No, we like to have fun. Don't get me wrong. Like to entertain or you wouldn't be here. But we do things differently here. We're activists. We're on a mission. We, we understand the opportunity you and I have through the course of this program. We always have, almost 20 years now. You know, the, the great thing... There's so many about Rush Limbaugh, and I miss him deeply, as do most of you, I'm sure. I learned a lot from him, not just about radio, but about human life. I can't tell you everything he said to me, but... He was a guy who was bigger than the microphone in front of him. He wanted to push... An agenda, he wanted to push a mission. He wanted to save the country, too. He's a huge Reagan supporter, huge Tea Party supporter, huge Trump supporter. A lot of people tried to hang on his coattails, who've done almost nothing. And there are people who speak for him who never knew him. Not in any serious way. I understand it, trust me. Everybody wants to belong, everybody wants to 
It's okay. But he also taught me that it, the, the principles and the audience are crucially important. They come first. It's to be done in an entertaining way, but they come first. He didn't worry about corporate lines when it came to broadcasting. He would promote people, some of whom worked for iHeart, some of whom didn't. I didn't work for iHeart. And by the way, I have tremendous respect for iHeart and all these other broadcast companies. They run my show. I probably have more diversity in the broadcast companies that run my show. I am so blessed. So blessed. By all of them. By all of them. But that's the point. There's a lot of people coming up from behind into these positions. They're handed these positions. That people have built before them. It's like any other business or profession. And they should learn from the people who came before them. We should all be galvanizing and rallying around this effort to save this country. Putting all jealousies aside, all little differences aside, pettinesses aside. But I don't see it. I see it in a lot of ways, but I don't see it in a lot of ways. We're going to have to have, as Thomas Paine said, all of us pulling in the same direction. Pulling in the same direction. It's not good enough to just go off to dinner, go off to lunch, I did a great job today, aren't I wonderful, on radio or in other walks of life, and feel you've accomplished something. You haven't accomplished enough if they're still on the move, they're organized, they're networked, and we're not. Does this make sense, Mr. Producer? So I just point that out. This isn't a time. I even say in the beginning of the book, let's put all the disputes aside, all the jealousies aside, all the angers aside, and let us understand what we're fighting for. I say that about talk radio too. I've been on about 50 shows. Every one of these hosts are great patriots. It is my honor to be on these programs. Small stations, large. Stations owned by the company I work for, stations not owned by the company I work for. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And I'm hoping that people who think about Rush, who are in this business and so forth, really seriously think about Rush, who is so crucial to the conservative movement, so crucial to the Tea Party, so crucial to the election of Donald Trump. If people want to be like Rush or act like Rush, then do it. Do it. Selflessness. That's what it's called. Selflessness. I'm going to have, I think it's tomorrow, but I'm not 100% sure, Ben Shapiro on my program. Ben is a tremendous patriot. A tremendous patriot. He had me on his show, I think, a week or two ago. But Ben used to sub for my program. He built an incredibly powerful podcast. His show is aired with the same network that runs my show. We get along great. 
I mean, we're not in touch all the time. We are a little busy. But we want to help each other. And I want to help him. He's written a tremendous book. Tremendous book. On Fox, I've had people on my show who've asked to come on the show. I've given them a full hour on life, liberty, and living. There have been some friendly directives or advice that says we'd prefer we I not do that, but in the past I have done that. For a number of young men and women who are fighting the battle, who are in the mission. They've written their books, or trying to climb their way up the ladder. Why shouldn't I help them? Why shouldn't I? It's important. We're fighting the same battle. We're fighting the same battle. I've been blessed by, I can't even keep count of the number of Fox hosts who've invited me on to talk about the book. These are wonderful people. And those who have done so, I want to salute you and thank you. Each and every one of you. Because there's a lot of overlap in our audiences. But there's 100% overlap in terms of the patriots who watch or listen to these programs. And I couldn't be more blessed and thankful for these folks who've done that. I know who they are. They didn't have to do anything. In fact, some don't do anything. Because they can't get beyond the little disputes. That's okay. I am. I am. So this isn't a rambling or anything like that. It's just an explanation of how we have to galvanize. And that there have been many, many hosts across this country. In radio and on Fox. And not just Fox. Sinclair. Others have attempted and asked. Newsmax and others have some exclusivity issues. But... I'm never going to forget them because they are true patriots. They're not about self. I'm not about self. Just terrific. So I want to give you some hope. All right, some of you are going to get mad at me. I haven't watched a wink of the Olympics, Mr. Producer. Nothing. Not a damn thing. Now, wait a minute. That's not true. At a restaurant last night, we saw the Greco-Roman wrestling. Where two guys are sort of uh, in bear hugs pushing each other around. I don't even get it. Do you get that, Rit? I mean, uh, Stephen? Yeah, they're just, I'm, I'm there, whoa, whoa, what's this? Two big guys just pushing and grab, and then they're scoring. I don't know what the hell's going on. And my wife asked me, uh, do you get points for this? I said, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what they're doing. And so I turned my head, bored the hell out of me. No offense. I don't know who's winning what race. I know people like to say, I'm really attached to this. I'm really watching. But the ratings demonstrate a massive decline in viewership. And that was predictable. Same with the Oscars. Same with the Golden Globes. Just too many reprobates who who make it uh, very difficult for the heroes and the patriots in these games. Uh, And they're really spoiled, selfish bastards. You want to know the truth. You're there, supposed to represent the United States of America. You're in effect on Team America, 
You're supported by Team America. Then you go over there and do an X with your arms or this or that. Very clever. Very clever. Can't help it. I just, it just, it turns me off. It just turns me off. And I feel bad for the patriots in there. Who really do like wrapping themselves in the American flag or waving the American flag. So this is clearly not aimed at them, and I'm clearly not alone. And yes, I told you early on I was rooting against the U.S. women's soccer team. I told you that on day one. I'm glad they lost like they lost. I'm sorry. Not. I'll be right back. Lovin. Tell me if this headline doesn't shake you to your very heels, the bottom of your feet. From NBC, finally. Audio from Migrant Shelter reveals allegations of sex misconduct by staff with minors. Does that not shake you? Audio from Migrant Shelter reveals allegations of sex misconduct by staff with minors. Did they leave with this on CNN? No. MSNBC, no. Any of the rest of them, no. Hell, you know the old line, if it was Trump, they'd be going nuts. But why aren't they going, I mean, seriously, why aren't they going nuts over this? Little kids are being sexually abused in these facilities. I didn't hear a single question about that today. I guess that's Trump's fault, too. No, this is Biden's fault, folks. We're past the 100-day mark. Everything that goes on is on Biden. New audio. Audio. From inside a U.S. government shelter for unaccompanied migrant children in Fort Bliss, Texas. Reveals allegations of sexual misconduct by staff toward minors. Acknowledgement that children were running low on clean clothes and shoes and a reluctance by officials to make public the scope of the facility's COVID outbreak. Sexually abused, COVID outbreak, dirty clothing and shoes. We've already caught staff with minors inappropriately. Is that okay with you guys? Says a federal contractor running a training session with staffers inside Fort Bliss in May. The crowd shouts back, no, I hope not, she says. Now you know why they don't want to visit this part of the border, folks. At its peak this spring, the temporary facility at Fort Bliss held nearly 5,000 migrant children as the Department of HHS scrambled to take in children who were overcrowding border facilities. At the time of the training session, the facility held 3,000 minors. Now it has 5,000. Later in the training session, the contractor says children have complained about staff bouncing up and down on their beds to wake them up. I know there have been a lot of complaints from minors about staff members waking them up in the morning. We've got some staff members that are picking up and shaking the beds to wake up the minor, or they're bouncing them on the bed. They think they're being playful, but that constitutes child abuse. I want you guys to know that. A few minutes later, she acknowledged there's a shortage of clean clothes and shoes. We're aware of a shortage of underwear, socks, and shoes. Management knows, and we're working on getting more for the minors. In a statement, Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra, who is a radical 
slip and fall lawyer said the agency takes every allegation of wrongdoing seriously. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. And you know what they're doing? Now they're taking these kids and they're taking adults and they're taking everybody else and they're putting them on buses and airplanes and sending them to you. To you. To you. Where's the New York Times? Where's Maggie Haberman? Where's Philly Bump? Where's Jeremy Barr? Where are the frauds, the fakes, and the phonies in the media? Where are they? Where's the New York slimes in the Washington compost? Little kids are being sexually abused. Does that bother them? How about Joe Biden? I know he was accused of molestation. I know he was a sniffer. Oh, yeah. But this doesn't seem to to move him either. Or how about Kamala Kamala Harris? Oh, yeah. A first in so many ways as our vice president, but a loser in the end. Where are our friends in ESPN and the NBA? Why aren't they speaking up? Where is Al Sharpton? Nowhere. How about the view? Have they done a view down here at Fort Bliss? I don't think so. The humidity would be a mess for them. No, no, they're not going down there. Amazing, isn't it? How about Stephen Colbert and the other stooges that do nighttime TV? They want to check it out? No, they don't want to check it out. No, they want to go to Obama's big 60th party on Martha's Vineyard. Isn't it sick? Oh, it's sick, all right. All right, folks, we've got a lot more to get to, including your calls. It's going to be a powerful third hour. And I'll see you in a moment. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Barack Milhouse Benito Obama is throwing a party for himself. On Martha's Vineyard. I can see all the private yachts and private jets. Can't you, Mr. Producer? I mean, it is an island. You've got to get over there. I don't think they're going to be using a rowboat. Oh, yes. And um, I've read anywhere from 500 to 700 people. Now, this guy doesn't think too much of himself, does he? He's always been an egomaniac. He did crap as President of the United States. You want to know the truth. Most of what he did turned to crap. If I asked you off the top of your head, what are the great three things Barack Obama did? You'd have to say Obamacare, one of the greatest disasters. But the libs think it's great. 
It's great. It's more government, but it doesn't really help people. I don't care what's the government. We like government. Uh, what else? Nothing. Can't think of a damn thing. Certainly nothing to the positive. But he's one of the greatest presidents of all time, ladies and gentlemen. Just ask him. He's worth hundreds of millions. He and the missus are worth hundreds of millions. I love these millionaire, billionaire Marxists. They're just unbelievable, aren't they? But that's okay. That's in the grand tradition of Maduro and Chavez and Castro and and all the other uh, great Marxists. So here they're having this massive event. The Obamas are going to have to spend maybe millions in their $15 million mansion. White supremacy has been very, very bad for them. Very bad. I went into this before, and I remember being attacked. It was hilarious by the goofballs in the media. You know, Martha's Vineyard is like, uh, it's like an island called, you know, it's like Vermont. There's, there's like uh, 12 black people there. No, no, Mark, you don't understand. Off-season, there's actually 4% and give me a break. Obama never has parties in Newark and Camden and, and, uh, and so forth. No, 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 no. He hangs out where the white supremacists are. That's where his mansions are, where the white supremacists are. Much like LeBron. Anyway, all that aside, I'm talking their talk, you see, the race stuff. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're being told, this is what I mean about how you can't take these educational, well, these medical fascists, seriously, talk to your own doctor. Your doctor doesn't have anything to do with politics or publicity or anything. Your doctor just works hard as a doctor. Talk to your own doctor. Your doctor knows your medical background. Your doctor knows what's good for you. Ask your doctor. If you want a second opinion, ask somebody else's doctor. But you don't listen to this crap from Pisaki and Biden and, and Fauci. What does Fauci know? Not a lot, apparently. Anyway. So what about this thing that Obama's going to have? It's like the Democrats leaving Texas and then spreading their virus all over Washington, D.C. It's okay, they're righteous. No, they're Democrats. And then you have Obama having his big party. Can't put it off. No, no. Put off everything. Don't put that off. So what? He's turning 60. Why is everybody having a why is he having a party for? Well, I'm turning 60. Who cares? Uh, apparently he does. Cut six. Uh, Jen Psaki's asked about it at the White House briefing today. Go. Just about COVID safety. Uh, By the way, President- there's one of the few reporters in America. Peter Ducey. And the rest of them sitting around him in that relatively small White House press room should be ashamed of themselves. John Roberts did a good job there, too, as far as I'm concerned. All right, let's start from the top. Cut six. Go. Just about COVID safety. Uh, is President Obama setting the wrong example about how serious COVID-19 is by hosting a big birthday party with hundreds of people this week? Well, I would certainly refer you to... So uh, she already has talking points because they knew it was coming up. So she turns to it. And I would refer you to... What are you going to refer us to? Go ahead. The team who is working for my former boss to give you more specifics of what the protocols are in place. So she's referring him to the party planners. He's asking your opinion, you moron. 
Go ahead. I would note first that former President Obama has been a huge advocate of individuals getting vaccinated. Wow. He swelled that former President Obama. And as former President Trump will tell you, there were no PPEs. None. Under the Obama-Biden regime. Go ahead. Uh, when CDC provided, has provided, what CDC has provided guidance on is for indoor settings in high or substantial high zones of COVID cases. No, not just indoor, outdoor too. I heard them. I heard what's her face, Radich or whatever she calls it. I, I heard her too. No, it's not just indoors, it's outdoors too. But they're not going indoors at all? What if you have to go to the restroom? What are you going to do? People aren't coming in and out of the building? Of course they're going to be processed in and out of the Anyway, go ahead. This event, according to all the public reporting, is outdoors and in a moderate zone. But in addition, there is testing requirements and other steps they are taking, which I'm sure they can outline. There for is you. testing requirements? Oh. There are testing requirements. It's plural. Go ahead. More detail. But is there any concern, just because, as you've said here, and you've had people saying over the last couple of days, vaccinated people can still spread this Delta variant uh, around. So is there concern that this... Peter, Peter, Peter. You have to understand. Whatever Barack Millhouse Benito Obama does is okay. She's spinning like a top. May I say dreidel? I think I will. She's spinning and spinning. Check the party planners, Peter. Ask the party planners about all the rules that are in place. It's okay. Everything's being tested. Everything's being tested. Go ahead. President Obama's birthday party might become a super spreader event. Well, I think, Peter, the guidance is about what steps people can take uh, when they're in public settings. Indoor settings specifically was the new guidance to keep themselves and others safe. In terms of what protocols uh, they are taking, I would refer you to them, and I'm sure they can give you more details. And just last one. So people who are watching this at home and they see, well, President Obama can have a party with several hundred people. Should they think that it is okay for them to have a party with several hundred people now? Well, we certainly advise everyone to follow public health guidelines, uh, which I know the former president, who is a huge advocate of getting vaccinated, of following the guidance uh, of public health. Talks like a parrot. Yes. A huge advocate of getting vaccinated. He didn't ask you about him being a huge advocate of getting vaccinated. He asked you about the party. And obviously, again, you don't sound like somebody who is serious about this virus or the Delta variant. Not in the least. When you're making excuses for this lavish party, lavish party, millionaires and billionaires, all the goofballs and unhinged freaks on the left are all trying to get in. They all want to be seen. It's unbelievable. He's the let him eat cake president, and he has the let him eat cake the first, uh, what is it? Lady, I guess. Are we allowed to use that word? No, but I did. The first birthing person. She was the first birthing pres- uh, person of color, I believe, as a, uh, as a spouse. Was she not, Mr. B? I think I have that all down pat now. And uh, here we are. We, we are all supposed to say, okay, well, it's okay. He has all the measures in place and everything else. 
I remember when they were canceling weddings. I remember when people couldn't go to funerals. I remember when people couldn't go into hospitals to see their parents die. I remember all that. Uh, But this is okay because Obama supports vaccines. And again, I just want to remind you, back to square one. Who is responsible for developing vaccines again? Despite the attacks by the Democrats, including Obama, who's responsible for that? The man they love to hate. And just think about that. If President Trump hadn't pushed through Operation Warp Speed, I guess Barack Mahal's Benito Obama wouldn't have his party now, would he? Oh, no. Will we be seeing who's attending this party? I would love to know. Do we get a list? May we get a list? I know we're spending a fortune on Secret Service to be there, you and I, our tax dollars. I doubt that Obama will reimburse. He's too damn cheap. But I'm just curious. All right, I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Well, it's a pleasure to have my friend, Senator Mike Lee, who actually believes in the Constitution and also doesn't believe that Congress should spend like drunken Marxists either. I'm very concerned, Senator, about this so-called bipartisan infrastructure bill. Whenever I hear that word bipartisan, I get very, very nervous. That just means people agree to do a lot of things maybe they shouldn't do. And as I hear more and more about what's in this bill, it's a monstrosity. It's it's an enormously long bill negotiated by a handful of people in a room with a handful of people from Biden's office. I, I, I reject this. And let me just give you two reasons why. Number one, we know the Democrats are coming right behind with what they claim is 3.5 trillion, but a lot of experts say it's actually 5.5. We've already spent trillions and trillions of dollars. We have hundreds of billions of dollars sitting around that haven't gone to this, that, or the other. And I suppose the second reason is, um, what is this all for? I mean, we already have inflation that's starting to pile up, starting to to show its ugly head. It's almost impossible to get that under control once it gets going. And we act like nothing's taking place. I'd love to know your opinion. And by the way, great speech on the Senate floor. Uh, Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, I'm deeply concerned about this. Look, I... uh, We've been told about this bill for months. We've been hearing for months they're negotiating it. They've spent four months writing it. And uh, uh, we didn't see bill text until last night, late last night, like 9 or 10 o'clock at night. It's the first time we saw it. 2,702 pages long. Unbelievable. Now, that happens. I get it. But look, it's taken them four months to get to this point. And now all of a sudden they come in, they waltz in with 2,700 pages, plop that down on the desk, and expect us to digest that, vote on it, and pass it within three days. That is wrong. Even before we get to the details in the bill, and there are a lot of problems in it, that is wrong in and of itself, and we should reject it. Well, first of all, people like me and millions of people in this audience, we have no idea what's in this bill except for a couple points that the media or some senator maybe will raise. We have no opportunity to give our input into this process. Isn't this supposed to be a representative republic? Yes, the classic hallmark of a republic is that you elect people to go and represent you, and and hopefully there's some interaction that occurs between the elected lawmakers and those who elected them. Mm. In in this circumstance, they draft this thing in secret, which is fine. That's their prerogative. Any member can draft legislation alone or with others uh, without public meetings. But by the time it gets here, 
They can't tell us with any credibility. You can't let the peasants in, meaning the American people. Mm-hmm. By the way, uh, visitors are not welcome. Members of the public are not welcome at the Capitol. They're forbidden from coming in, ostensibly because of COVID, uh, another issue. But we're literally excluding them from the physical premises. We're also making it impossible for them to have meaningful input on this because you can't read 2,700 pages in two or three days and fully expect to be able to mount a resistance to it. Then they expect us to pass it in three days. Mm-hmm. Mark, they're on track to add add to our national debt $8 trillion this year. $8 trillion just this year. This after adding almost $4 trillion to our national debt last year. 37% of all U.S. dollars that have ever entered circulation have been created in the last 18 months. This is why people are paying higher prices at the pump and at the grocery store and on their rent and mortgage. Inflation is real. It's here. This is no longer something that will just affect our grandkids. It's right here, right now, and we've got to stop it. You know, Senator, I hear Biden talk about how he's grown the economy with all this massive spending. You know, I can't point to another country any time in, in, in the history of mankind which spent a lot of money and became wealthy. I can think of the Weimar Republic, which collapsed. I can think of all these other third world countries where their money is absolutely useless. You destroy pensions, you destroy savings, you destroy the civil society, uh, people turn to barter, the law of the jungle. This is where we're headed with this. I mean, people say, well, we haven't so far. It's not a matter of we haven't so far. It's the law of economics, which, has, which is as, as important as the law of physics. I mean, it is what it is, right? It is. It is so much so that there were a couple of Stanford professors about a decade ago, Reinhardt and Rogoff, who wrote a book called This Time It's Different. They've analyzed countries from all over the world over hundreds of years, and figured out what happened to them when their economies collapsed. They're great economic powers that spent too much money. They, they, they found one thing in common. They all started spending to the point that they accumulated sovereign debt in excess of 100% of, of GDP. Once they reach that point, economic growth stalls out. Once that happens, you can't make your economy grow faster than your debt anymore, and you go into a tailspin. Two years ago, we were at 79% of debt to GDP. CBO came out with a report just a few days ago. It's getting almost no attention in the mainstream media. It says that by the end of this year, we'll be at 106% debt to GDP. This is dire. And these guys are wanting us to whistle past the graveyard and pass $1.2 trillion in additional spending, which will in turn pave the way toward another $3.5 to $4.5 trillion that the Democrats want to throw on top of that. Shame on us if we let that happen. And bipartisan, let me tell you something. Any Republican who votes for this is always praised by the media. Oh, look at this. They believe in bipartisanship. Look, they can finally get something done. Wow, big yippee. Massive spending. They can finally get something done by peeling off a bunch of Republicans. That's never happened before, Senator. And yet, again, the media will applaud them back home. They'll say, look at it. We'll have a new bike path, and, you know, we'll have all these other things. And the big, bad Mike Lee, look at him. He's, uh, he's just stuck in there all by himself, and the minority is not effective. It's just outrageous how the media are part of this, too, don't you think? Absolutely. Predictably, consistently so. In fact, when I spoke on the Senate floor last night for an hour, that's one of the points I I, I made was that uh, I, I know with an absolute certainty 
that the advocates of this bill will get nothing but praise for it in the mainstream media. And I know that I will get nothing but scorn. In fact, I'll be ridiculed as someone who's heartless, who doesn't care about anyone, even though, even though it, it, this really, this kind of approach to legislation, Mark, Mark it, it's like reverse Robin Hood. This is stealing from the poor to give to the rich. There are a handful of very wealthy, well-connected individuals who will get darn rich off of a bill like this. But the poor and middle class, the forgotten man and forgotten woman in America, will get poorer, even though they mm. might not always connect it immediately to this legislation. That's what's so shameful about it. I, I want to know, can we hold you over after the bottom of the hour? Sure. Because one of the things that troubles me is this inflation. You know, people say it's almost passive. Well, it's a tax on everybody. I want people to understand what inflation really means. It means that dollar in your pocket is not a dollar anymore. That means that pension that you negotiated and worked for for 30 years is worth far less than you thought. That means when you want to get in your automobile and drive, it goes through the roof. You can see the prices in food. You can see the prices in everything now going up, housing and all the rest. This is the Biden economy, and these so-called bipartisan Republicans are contributing to it. I want to get back to you on this, Senator Lee. We'll be right back. Levin, America's Paul Revere. Call him now at 877-381-3811. We're on with Senator Mike Lee. You know, Senator Lee, you look at the southern border. They stopped building the wall. We have people coming to this country. God knows, maybe by the end of the year, over 2 million people who are sick. Many who have this virus may have the variant, may have other illnesses, We have sexual predators coming across. It's not that all people are this way. It's that too many are. Now we read a piece today about minors in our custody being sexually assaulted. Why doesn't the Republican Party get together and say, you know what, Mr. President, we're not passing a damn thing until you fix that damn border. Why don't we ever conduct ourselves this way? That is precisely what we should do. You know, I, I, it's always hard for me. To, I, I can't speak for anyone but myself right. uh, in figuring out what motivates people. I know that to some, they, they simply find the siren call of bipartisanship and the way it sounds when it flows off the tip of their tongues to be irresistible. Mm. They, compounding that siren call is, is the fact that they get praise from the media for it. They get a short-term boost from it. And they speak as if, as if bipartisanship were this rare commodity. But, Mark, it, it's interesting. We, we pass spending bills every year to keep the spending going. In fact, you don't get to be $30 trillion in debt without a whole lot of bipartisanship going on. Yeah. You do not see that. You, you, that all requires bipartisanship. Bipartisanship isn't that rare when it comes to spending other people's money. Do you know what is rare? Politicians who are willing to say no, even though they will be criticized and vilified and hated in and by and through the mainstream media for it. That's what's rare. That's what we need more of. And so it was discouraging to me, especially this last week when we saw Republicans jumping on board to this thing. They were voting on a bill, Mark, that did not yet exist. As I told you in the last segment, we saw this bill, 2,702 pages, for the first time last night, about 9 or 10 o'clock at night. 
And yet you had lots of Republicans joining together with all Democrats last week, voting not once but twice to proceed to the bill. They were voting for a bill that did not yet exist. They were voting for nothing. I do not understand this other than to say a lot of politicians really want to be liked. They really want to be praised in the mainstream media. And uh, they, they'll get that. They well, Senator, that. I don't remember the, uh, the Democrat. Poverty is everyone. I don't remember the Democrats doing backflips uh, when Trump wanted to spend a uh, trillion dollars on infrastructure, whatever it was, supported or not. So they, they don't, they don't uh, you know, grease the skids. But our guys do. It, it really is. It's an amazing thing. And uh, I oppose it all, by the way. I always have. Because what people don't understand is the vast majority of infrastructure are local and state matters. Why is the federal government building walking paths in, uh, in Utah or in Florida or whatever? What, what does that have to do with the federal government? It shouldn't. You know, uh, Mark, my copy of the Constitution, and I've scoured it, uh, my copy of the Constitution uh, doesn't contain anything that gives us general infrastructure power. I, <laughs> I think we probably have a, 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 an important role to play for the interstate highway system. And maybe for some roads going through uh, federal land, maybe through military mm-hmm. bases and so forth, uh, perhaps in the District of Columbia or U.S. territories. Outside of things that are distinctively federal that you can connect to an actual enumerated power of Congress, these are state and local matters. And do you know what else, Mark? When we make them federal, we add 20 to 30 percent of the cost of the program just by making it federal. The second you add a dollar of federal spending to it, you've got to walk through this Byzantine labyrinth of federal regulations that makes it 20 to 30 percent, sometimes more expensive mm-hmm. just because it's federal. So this is wrong. We gain no efficiencies. In fact, we lose efficiencies. The only advantage here is we can print money. The states can't. And so what they're saying if they pass this is we're willing to print money and thereby impoverish poor middle-class Americans, reverse Robin Hood, effectively stealing from the poor and middle class to give money to the rich. That is shameful. $400 billion in the last massive spending plan, uh, according to uh, the GAO, was either improperly spent, criminally spent, or is missing. $400 billion. Nobody blinks an eye. Nobody brings it up. Nobody says, empower, you know, you're a senator who can vote. Nothing out of the executive branch, nothing out of leadership, nothing out of the media. It, it, it is shocking to me what we've become. There, there used to at least be people say, maybe I'm not a social conservative, maybe I'm not a hawk, but I am a fiscal conservative. We have fewer and fewer people who even say that, Senator Lee. Right, right. And it's amazing. what they mean when they say that is that they are Republicans who want to be liked. When somebody expresses that viewpoint, when they start hyphenating their conservatism, uh, and when they start minimizing it. Some of these people still call themselves conservative, but, you know, conservatism isn't a state of mind. Mm-hmm. It's, it's manifested in one's actions. And it shows that you're not willing to bow down and pray to the false idol god of big government. Ultimately, that's what socialism all forms of statism and fascism are about, are attributing to government attributes of deity, all-knowing, all-powerful, omniscience, omnipotence, the ability to love you and care about you. Government doesn't have any of that, Mark, because government is just force. Our founding fathers understood that well. We've lost that understanding today, and we've got to get it back. 
What do you think our founding fathers would say if the federal government, which they did for a while, but was now ruled unconstitutional? I don't understand this Kavanaugh decision. It's the most bizarre thing I've ever read. But all that said, the CDC and the others, that would tell somebody that owns private property, maybe they rent out a, you know, an apartment, a room, or something like that. Everybody's not a billionaire. And they say... Uh, you cannot evict anybody. Well, now, wait a minute. I need that money to pay my mortgage. No, you can't evict them. Well, why? Because of the virus. Where do you get the authority to tell me I can't evict somebody? It's my private property. I got to pay my bills to... And then they say, don't worry. We've passed $50 billion to subsidize landlords. Then we find out $7 billion has actually reached them. And this is... Uh, this, and, and then they talk about a moratorium. These government programs never end, do they, Senator? No, no, they don't. They don't. As my wife, Sharon, likes to say, all socialism starts out as emergency socialism. All of it. <laughs> they they yeah. love emergencies. That's why they say never let a crisis go to waste, because it's all a teaser rate to get into the business of socialism. And that, by the way, the, what you just described is a taking. That is a taking of That's property. Right. We're not allowed it's to enough. do that, except just compensation, with their, which they're not providing. And you would think people realize the government doesn't even do what it's supposed to do, like the border. I mean, if the, it maybe, I mean, they want to get into more and more. They want to spend more and more. They want to centralize more and more. They can't even do what they're constitutionally supposed to do. Anyway, you and I are singing to the choir. I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your guts. I'm afraid there's not enough of you. Uh, there's no question about that. And in terms of bipartisanship, if you're bipartisan and you're pushing us into a disaster, it doesn't matter if you're bipartisan, you're partisan, uh, you're tripartisan. It doesn't matter. Stupid is stupid. Senator Lee, I want to thank you, sir. Now, you're running for re-election. Give us your website. Yes, I'm running for re-election. I've already got two challengers coming up uh, against me and not from the right, uh, uh, from within the Republican Party. And Anyone within the sound of my voice uh, can can help me get through that campaign by going to leeforsenate.com. That's leeforsenate.com. Look, the establishment doesn't like me. They're coming after me. They don't like me because I'm not willing to vote for big spending bills. So I can use the support of any of your listeners willing to go to leeforsenate.com. Leeforsenate.com, Mr. Producer, put that on my... uh... I'm sorry, Senator. I'm not on Twitter and Facebook anymore. I'm only on Parler. But we do have a, we do have a microphone. That's leaveforsenate.com, leaveforsenate.com, and we will support you. God bless you, Senator. Thank you very much, Mark. All right. Take care. There's a, there's a very earnest, thoughtful, decent man whose first run for office is the United States Senate. He's, he's your Mr. Smith goes to Washington. That's who Mike Lee is. He's your Mr. Smith goes to Washington. And he's nothing like Romney, who's been a political chameleon his entire life. He goes to Massachusetts and runs, goes to Utah, runs, is born in Michigan. You know, whatever works. Mr. Carpetbagger uh, will do anything to uh, get the media to support him. God, were we bamboozled by this fool. Just tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you'll also go to Amazon.com this evening. And get your copies of American Marxism. If you have a copy, you've got family and friends and other people that we've got to get involved in this movement. If they're on the fence or you're not sure where they are, or if they're going to college, well, you need to get to them. If they're in high school or going to high school, you need to get to them. 
your kids, your grandkids. And so I would strongly urge you, strongly encourage you, take a look at the comments. I think there's almost 4,000 comments now over on uh, uh, American Marxism on Amazon.com. Take a look at them if you're not sure. But once you jump in, please help us out. Please help us spread the word. Please encourage people to read the book. Take your time, one page at a time, one chapter at a time. But we have a big push coming in now. People going to college and universities, going back to school. This is the time, if you haven't jumped in, I would encourage you, please jump in. Get to your children and grandchildren. Get to your neighbor and your colleagues and your coworkers before, quote-unquote, they do. They do. Because summer's coming to an end. School's about to begin. We need to push back. Amazon.com. You can get it tomorrow. Any major retailer, Costco, Barnes & Noble, and all the rest, they are loaded. They've got the book. Now you need it. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. In Surprise, Arizona, Jim XM Satellite. How are you? Hello? Mr. Levin, it's an honor to speak to you. I've been listening to you for a very long time. Thank you, sir. Hello? Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, we have a long delay on this phone for some reason. You have what? Yeah, I have an issue with uh, our government. How come our government and other governments are not so mad at China? They're not even. They're 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 not even mad. I mean, they're not bitching at them. They're not saying anything. In other words, with the Chinese Communist government, right? Yes, sir. Yes. Well, I'll tell you why. Because Joe Biden and his family have been on the take so long. I really believe this. uh, That he is really the. uh, I guess I could say he's the real Manchurian candidate in many respects. He's weak on China because China's been good to his family. China's been good to the McConnell family. China's been good to the Feinstein family. China's been good to the uh, Pelosi family. You can go on and on and on. It's disgusting. It's outrageous. These Confucius centers, China's bought off one university and college after another. They bought off corporations. They bought off the NBA. They bought off, in effect, LeBron James. I mean, you know, all these people talking about justice and equity and racism, but boy, oh boy, they love their money, don't they? All right, my friend. Thank you for your call. We seem to have a delay here. I don't know why. Hobart, Indiana. Pam, where is she listening to us? The great WLS, although it would be greater if they actually ran their show live. Go right ahead. Man, do we have a delay? Yeah, when I was in high school, I had a teacher that taught um, world government, but he consistently taught on communism. Mm-hmm. And the first book that he gave us to uh, uh, read over and prepare for debates was mm-hmm. uh, Rules for Radical. Yep. And he used to say that um, our country is complacent, and pretty soon we will be a socialistic government. Well, he and was right. we just want, yeah, and this was in 1974. Mm-hmm. Listen, Mr. Producer, did we did we let the guy go before without giving him a book, I guess? All right, let's let's please remember now. Don't hang up, ma'am. I want to send you a signed edition of American Marxism, okay? 
Don't hang up. Anybody who gets through. Who's next? Who's next? Yes. Tucson, Arizona. Matthew. What is it? KNST. Go right ahead. Are you there, Mark? I'm here. Thank you. Yeah. How you doing, Mark? Uh, I've been on the phone all day trying to get, get wind to everybody what's going on down here in Tucson. Just a couple days ago, uh, you know, everything with the illegals has gone so bad. They're so overwhelmed. They're now turning to the public for help. And you can look this up for yourself on, on Google. I know, but what are you supposed to do about it? To bring them into your homes? Is that what they're talking about? Here's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're saying that if you sign up, we'll give you a city car to transport the illegals around in. Including oh, buses. my God. To transport illegal aliens and bring them into your homes and so forth? Yeah. Yes, sir. Because you have that damnable liberal mayor. That's number one. It's too bad. It's too bad what's happened in this country. Thank you, my friend. Don't hang up. We want to get you a signed book. Folks, you can get a book, too. Amazon.com. Please spread the word. Don't give up. And I'll see you tomorrow. We salute all you heroes out there. See you then.